today on being hospitable to one another. Now, when, when we went through the One Another series at the men's conference, Brother Andrew Huffman gave a, a great start to this message. He got up and he said, it seems like they were just grasping at straws to find another one another to preach about, so they just grabbed Be Hospitable. But as we have said, there's over 50-something one another's in Scripture. So why is being hospitable to one another one of these important ones? Shouldn't it be one of those back burner ones that we should, should speak of? Because we all know we're supposed to open our homes, invite each other over for lunch on Sundays, those type of things. And typically that's what we think be hospitable to one another is in the New Testament. Have somebody over for Sunday dinner have a nice conversation, they go home, you go about their business. But as we're going to look here, being hospitable is a, a much deeper concept than having fellow church members over to their house for Sunday lunch. We're going to get into what the word hospitable in the Greek actually means, and it's, it's very different than what we typically would think. Now, it does involve that. We should be having each other, other over in each other's homes, having fellowship with one another, being hospitable to one another. But it goes very much beyond the walls of this church and the people that are in it. So uh, my message is also from 1 Peter, but we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. And let's just look at three verses. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So our title today is Be Hospitable to One Another. Now all of these one another's, All of them are a central key and an evangelistic tool that we must be using to reach the world. As we'll see through each of these messages, and as we should have seen, if we are not living in the one another's, our example to the world means nothing. If the world doesn't see that we, as a church, care for one another, bear one another, forbear one another love one another, confess to one another, comfort one another, then why would the world want any part of our church life if we don't look to one another? And this uh, being hospitable to one another is also going to come into play in that, but all of these we must remember through this entire series that each of these one another's is an evangelistic tool to the outside world. It is also an evangelistic tool to those who are in our own families and in this church building who are not Christians. Because we know that everyone here has not had their eyes opened. And they see the dirty that goes on. Our children see the way that a husband and wife treat themselves at home. Our children see how we communicate with one another. Visitors that come in or even adults that are here that are not children of God see how we treat one another. So our one another's are an evangelistic tool to the outside world and inside because the one another is simply 
the Christian life. That's all it is. These one another's is simply living as a Christian should live. Now, we don't have the same life uh, situations, backgrounds, upbringings, ethnicities, as we said uh, in our last message of comforting one another. But we don't have to have those to be hospitable to one another either. We just simply need to give the same hospitality that we ourselves have been given. Does that mean that, well, if this family invites me over for Sunday dinner, I got to go reciprocate and invite them over for Sunday dinner? That's not what this means. Should we do that? Of course, we know we should do that, but that's not what this means. In fact, we're going to see in this hospitality that this hospitality is exactly that. The reaching out, the loving, the caring, the welcoming in of those that are not like us. Those that are of different backgrounds, different upbringings, different ethnicities, different life cultures. That's what this hospitality is truly focusing on. So what we need to do is look at the history of what's going on here when Peter is writing this letter. There was much persecution at the time. Much persecution. Christians were having to flee from their homelands, flee from their cities, flee from wherever they were because they were being persecuted. That's why through the New Testament you hear of letters of commendation that some of the the, uh, apostles or some of the ministers would bring with them. Well, some of the Christians also would bring letters of commendation from one of their pastors or even one of the apostles that, hey, this person really does go to church here in uh, the, the city of Colossae. They're really a member here and they're in good standing. Because what was happening is people were having to flee persecution. Now, when we go to visit another church, a lot of there's hotels on every street. When we go to visit other places, there's hotels we can go to, we can stay there. In this day and time, there was no such thing as a Holiday Inn Express. You had brothels and places of ill repute to spend the night. Other than that, it was homes or the street. So that people of God could not go out to these other cities that they did not know and their only two choices be to sleep in the street or to go to a place of ill repute and be tempted. What was their only option? To find other Christians to stay in their home. Now they couldn't call you up and say, Hey, Bob, we're coming over in two weeks. Can you house our family? They show up and say, Hey, Bob, we're here. Can you house our family? Now, Bob's response is what's important here. This is what this passage is all about. Now, we will see that hospitality does not just mean to our church, as I said, and it doesn't mean to just Christians. We need to be hospitable to all men. But this passage is specifically speaking to the brothers of faith that you have no clue who they are. Now, remember, the gospel is spreading. It's spreading outside of just Judaism, it's into all the Gentiles. So you're going to have people from very different cultures. They may dress different, look different, have a different accent. They may eat weird foods that you think are strange. But there's a commonality that they all have now. It is their kinsmanship in Jesus Christ. So when they come to the door, what the apostle is saying is, you need to show love to your brethren and you need to show love to the stranger coming into your home and be given to hospitality. That's why this verse, this this passage of use hospitality one to another starts before that. 
above all things have a fervent charity and a fervent agape among yourselves, for agape shall cover the multitude of sins. Now use hospitality to one another. And then it follows up with something else. As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Before we say what this word hospitality is, we need to first understand the cause of us being hospitable. The cause of hospitality. Something has to cause it. Now, it's either begrudgingly or guilted or what he's referring to here. 1 John 4, 19 simply says, We love because He first loved us. The ultimate act of hospitality was God's love towards foreign people. In fact, it was God's love towards enemies. Because that's what we were. We were enemies before God. We were enemies with Christ. We only love because He has first loved us. The because, that word literally means the reason for, the cause of. Our cause of love is because we are loved. Our cause, our reason for being hospitable is because someone greater has shown us the greatest hospitality. What has He welcomed us into? His home. We are heirs with Jesus Christ. He is our Father. God is our Father now. He has opened His doors, opened His home, and welcomed in people that, quite frankly, are strange. People that are different. People that are flawed. People that have problems. People that have issues. People that are not perfect. People that are not completely holy. And He has opened His home and brought us in as the ultimate act of hospitality. The whole cause of hospitality is the love of God first towards us. That is the first cause. His cause, the cause of Him loving us, it constrains us. It moves us. It behooves us to then in turn show love. This hospitality that we're speaking of today is not a guilt Uh, induced opening of your doors. It is because you do love. It's not saying, well, great, the pastor's family invited us over, so now we're indebted to invite them over. Or these people are coming. I really don't like them. I'm not that fond of them, but I'm supposed to open my doors, so I'm going to. That's why at the end of the hospitality verse, it says do so without something, without grudging, grumbling, complaining. That doesn't just mean verbally. That means simply grudging, complaining, or grumbling even in your spirit. So how is hospitality done with simple love? 1 John again, 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. Children of God. We have been adopted strangers, foreigners adopted into His home. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. How great a love did it take for the Father to welcome you and I into His home. 
Did he look at us and say, oh my goodness, I can't wait to have those messed up, fallen, dirty sinners come into my kingdom. This is the most exciting thing ever. He looked at you with love because you are his own. Now, how are we to in turn look to others with that same type of love? Because he has first loved us. I don't deserve to be in the household of God. You don't deserve to be in the household of God. Nothing we have done, nothing we bring to the table, none of that causes us to have a a right of our own to be in the household of God. But one thing does. Jesus Christ Himself has purchased us, has cleaned us, has made us new. And God welcomes us into His home. 1 John again, chapter 4, verse 20. Part of the evidence of our being in Christ is the way that we love our family of God. Now, does that mean the way that we love our heritage family? The way that we love the family of God. How broad is the family of God? I hope that it is innumerable. I believe it is innumerable. Because it has people in China I will never meet until I get to glory. It has people in India I will never meet until I get to glory. It has people in the streets of America that we will never meet until we get to glory. Are we more the family of God than they are the family of God? Absolutely not. We all purchased through His blood are the family of God. So part of the evidence of our being in Christ is the way that we love our family of God. If someone says, I love God, but he hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So now I want us to get into what does hospitality actually mean. So we're going to take a few minutes to just dig into the Greek of this word. Philozenos. Philozenos. And we're going to see two different words in here. That's the actual word of hospitality. Be hospitable. Philozenos in 1 Peter 4, 9. Use hospitality or use philozenos one to another without grudging. Now, first off, we have to understand that there are three different types of love in the Greek. Three different types. There is, as we've all heard, agape, philo, and euros. Now, euros is the love that... So we can categorize these into three simple ways. And this is not original with me. Andrew Huffman actually gave these at the men's conference and they weren't original with him. He didn't even, couldn't recall who they came from, but it's a perfect way to remember these three. It simplifies them. Euros is an erotic love and it is nowhere found in the Bible. That Greek word euros is nowhere found. It is a love that takes. Euros is a love that takes. I must have because I desire. It is something I must have because I desire it. And we know that we should not covet, so this euros can be seen as a sinful type of love, but it's not mentioned in the Bible. The second one is agape. Now, we have all heard agape, and one of the terms that we've often heard is it's a God love. Let's simplify it because agape is not only used in the way that God loves us, 
Agape is a sacrificial devotion to one's own interest in the interest of another. In other words, it's a love that gives. You will give of your own self-interest. You will give of your own self for the benefit of another. Now, agape can also be evil when it is used the wrong way. In John chapter 3, it says that men love darkness rather than light. That is agape. Men agape darkness rather than light. How can you have that God-like love for men that love darkness? They are willing to give everything of themselves in order to gain some status, in order to gain something for their family, in order to gain something in the community. They're willing to give, sacrifice something else for this. That's not what this type of hospitality here is either. Then there's Philo. This is Philo for Philozenus. It is the love that gives and takes. We've often heard it is the love of friendship. It's the love that gives and takes. It's a love of mutuality, a love of friendship. I love you and you love me. I give to you, but I am also willing to take of you. There comes in that one another. I am willing to bear your burden, and I am willing to let you bear my burden. I am willing to confess to you, and I am willing to hear you confess to me. I am willing to comfort you, and I am willing to receive your comfort. Philo is a love that gives and takes. Now let's look at Zeno. Have we all heard the term xenophobia? It's going around like crazy right now. So let's simply look at what Zeno means. Zeno simply means a foreigner or a stranger. A foreigner or a stranger. So a xenophobia is a fear of someone different. It's simply that. Now we hear it used wrong much now today, but it's simply a fear of something that is different. So if we have uh, Philo, the love that gives and takes, and Zeno, a foreigner or a stranger, Philo-Zeno is actually the opposite of xenophobia. Philo-Zeno means a love towards the stranger. That's what the word hospitality literally translates to in the Greek. Love of the stranger. Use the love of the stranger one to another without grudging. That comes back to what I said earlier when we have to remember the context and the history of when this is being written. You have Christians coming from all different places trying to seek refuge. And he's saying, open your door to the stranger. Be willing to give of yourself to this stranger. Now, they could be a little timid about this, a little trepidatious about it, because you have someone that you have no clue who they are asking to come stay in your home. He's saying, love them and open your door to them. Now, there's things that we must remember in this philozenos, this love of the stranger, love towards the stranger, showing them love. Something to remember in hospitality is, why do we belong at the table of God but for the mercy of Jesus Christ? Why do I belong? Why do I have the right to sit at His table and feast? 
but for the mercy and love of Jesus Christ. We're recipients, as I said earlier, of His hospitality. Therefore, we should, we must, we are constrained to show that same type of hospitality towards one another. Now, in the Old Testament, it was actually commanded to show this type of philozenos to others. Exodus twenty two twenty one. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, the first thing that comes to the mind of us when we go to Israelites in Egypt, we think of the slavery. This is referring to before the slavery. This is back of the time of Joseph, when Joseph had reunited with his family, And Pharaoh comes to Joseph, who is second command of all of Egypt, who has saved Egypt from starvation because of the wisdom that God had given him. And Pharaoh says, welcome all of your brethren in. Bring them in. They were strangers. And they were also another thing, shepherds. Egyptians hated shepherds. Not that they disdained them, but they were dirty people, so they were second-class citizens. But Pharaoh says, bring them in. I have such a love for you, Joseph, that I'm going to love your strange, shepherding, smelly family. Bring them in. Of course, we know that they go to the land of Goshen because it was good for feeding the animals. And Joseph says they're shepherds. You shouldn't have to live with them. But they were welcomed and given land. These are strangers in the land of Egypt. That's what he's referring to here in Exodus. You should not mistreat a stranger. You shouldn't oppress a stranger. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You were welcomed at one time when you had... Nothing. When there was no reason you should be welcomed in, you were welcomed. Exodus 23, verse 9. Also you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Again, he's saying, you're coming into a strange place. Your your forefathers, your ancestors came in with uncertainty, not knowing what they were going into. And they were welcomed in. They were welcomed, not put up with. They were welcomed. Leviticus 19.34 The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That's a commandment. I am the Lord your God. Now this says the stranger who dwells among you. That means they knew who they were. They're a stranger that's already dwelling there. That means they're a foreigner who is not like them, who came from a different background, different upbringing, different culture that is now living with them. And they're saying, you are to treat them as if they were you. Welcome them in. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 10.19, the last of these. Deuteronomy 10.19, Therefore, love the stranger... For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. It does not say, therefore, put up with the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Therefore, tolerate the stranger. Therefore, hold your nose and open your door. It says, therefore, love the stranger, for you yourself were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, all four of those passages refer back to them being welcomed in into a situation that they did not know they were walking into. You know, the brothers of Joseph were still a bit scared that he might have some retribution upon them. The father was just excited to see him. They did not know what they were walking into. 
but they were welcomed in as if they were part of the Egyptian kingdom. They were welcomed in. Now we know later on, the Pharaoh passed, a Pharaoh didn't remember Joseph, then they become slaves. These passages are referring to before that time when they were loved unconditionally and welcomed in. There's another, I think, excellent example of welcoming in the stranger. Now, this doesn't always mean someone you don't know. It doesn't always mean someone who's from a foreign land. And a perfect example of that is with David. Now, I believe I said in the, in the last message of comforting one another about his story with Mephibosheth, which I have a hard time pronouncing. But I want to go back into that for, for a specific reason. Now, David and Jonathan were the closest of friends. They had a, an unbreakable love towards one another. Now, Jonathan was the, the heir to the throne because he was Saul's son. David was anointed to the throne by Samuel because Saul had forsaken God and had broken the laws. And there's these wars going on between the two. But David and Jonathan had such a love for one another that they would have given their lives for one another. And when Jonathan dies, he's killed in battle, he has a family. Now, most of the time when a new king would come in in that age, they wouldn't just destroy their enemies. Most of the time they'd go ahead and destroy all their brothers and anybody else who might have a claim to the throne because they wanted to be secured on the throne. So least of all, they're going to leave alive someone who is an heir to the former king or an heir to the former heir of the throne, which is what Mephibosheth is. He is the son of the prince. Well, the king and the prince are killed. David has taken the throne. Most men in that day would have killed Mephibosheth. But David had a love for someone who could have been, and in everybody else's eyes, should have been an enemy. But David didn't just welcome him in and say, Mephibosheth, because of your and because of your fathers and my friendship, I'm going to allow you to live in peace. Now go in peace. David does something different. He opens his door and he says, Mephibosheth will eat at my table every day for the rest of his life. Well, that's, that's not the norm in that culture. So imagine you're coming in and you're, you're, you're supporting the new king. You've come in. And you're dignitaries from other kingdoms and you're coming in because you want to gain favor of this new king. And you sit in the great hall and you sit down at the table because you belong there. You supported the king in the battle. You're a new ally from another kingdom and you belong there. And you look over and you see Mephibosheth, who should have been the enemy, sitting at the table of David as if he is one. Now Mephibosheth, also they're looking at him not just as... He should have been killed. He's an enemy of the king, but he's also crippled. He is lame in both feet. Mephibosheth can't walk. So not only are they saying, why is there an enemy? But why is this cripple sitting at the table? He is no good to David. He's not a warrior. He can do nothing. You know what, brothers and sisters? We are the Mephibosheth sitting at the table of God. We're the cripples that don't belong We're the enemies that shouldn't have been there, but for the mercy of God. Because the blood of Jesus Christ has covered us and made us into that family. Now we sometimes may come into the church and look 
I'm like, why in the world are we tolerant of that person? You know, they're all looking back at us saying the same thing. Why in the world are we tolerating that person? We're all the Mephibosheths that need to have a door open to us, to be welcomed to come and sit and dine at the table of God. That's a perfect example, a perfect picture example of the way that we are undeservedly welcomed in as foreigners, as strangers to a table we do not belong. And yet, the door has been opened to us. David was a man of mercy. There was multiple times through the, the, the stories of David where his men wanted to kill an enemy. And David's like, no, have mercy. Let them live. Let that be an example to us to show mercy even to the stranger who could be the enemy. Those are uh, some good examples for us just from the Old Testament. Now let's look for a moment at the New Testament. Now we're all going to say that Mike Stewart and Titus Cannon should be hospitable because we're elders. We're all going to say that they should be hospitable because the Bible tells them to. And we're going to go to those passages that is in the book of uh, Timothy and Titus. So we're going to go to uh, 1 Timothy. If I can go the right direction. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Let's read verses 1 and 2. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to philozenos, hospitality, and apt to teach. Given to welcoming in the stranger. Well, the book of Titus uh, 1.8 tells us practically the same thing, that a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. A lover of philo, xenos. It is a command and a requirement that someone who goes into the ministry... Fulfill these things. So yes, all the pastors should be given to or lovers of welcoming in the stranger. Now, we got to be sensible about this. Do I just open my door to every man on the street? Homeless guy comes up, knocks on the door, and I say, Come on in, sleep in my house, eat my food. Of course, we have to use some discerning judgment and being hospitable to complete strangers. We have to be wise about this. Again, that sanctified common sense. But again, back to the reference of what these passages are talking about, you had many, many Christians traveling, no hotels to go to, nowhere to go to, and they knock on your door and say, Hi, here is my letter of commendation from the Church of Philippi. Oh, great. I wanted a quiet evening at home. I did not want to... Tell my wife she's got to cook some extra supper. I don't want to make the extra bets. Oh, of course, come on in. That's not what this means. It means you are glad that they have come, that you love, that you are able to care for the family of God. I love that I am able to care for you. I love that I am able to love you, even though I don't know you, because there is something we have in common. We have a love for Jesus Christ. Come into my home. I welcome you. That's what these two passages are referring to. Now there's going to be times, and, and I'll, I'll just use a little 
personal example of what we have going on right now, not in a lot of detail, but I have teenagers. All of those of us with teenagers know that sometimes you may come sit down at your supper table and there's people you don't recognize sitting at your supper table. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. I want my friends, my children's friends, to feel welcome in my home. I want them to want to come to my home. Because sometimes it's the only Christian home they'll ever experience. It's the only Christian home that they have any example of. I want them there. So when I come in and I sit down, a lot of times I know who the the kids are at the table. Sometimes I have sat down and not realized it for a while after eating. And then I look up and I'm like, I just, that's not my kid. I just overlooked it. I just assumed it was. My table, we're crammed around our table. If you didn't know, it's not a big dining room. We're literally crammed around it. And so sometimes we just cram a little tighter. Like you two share that chair. Pull up a rice bucket and you sit on that. We'll make it work. But Sometimes I don't even know they're there. But the whole point of that is I love to have those teenagers come to my home. If they come from a non-Christian home, I want them to come to my home. I want them to see Christ in a family. Are we doing it perfect? No. Are we going to mess up sometimes? Yes. But I want them to experience the Christian life that they may not ever experience. If they're children from another Christian home, I gladly want them to come into my home because I want my children to have the fellowship of other young Christians. I want them in my home. That's what these verses are talking about. You want, you welcome, you love to have the family of God with you. And you love to be a witness to those who are searching or those who don't know. That's what this lover of hospitality means. Loving to show love to others, even if you don't know who they are. Now, is it just uh, us, us pastors that need to show this? No, everyone needs to show this type of hospitality. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12 for me. We're going to just pick a few verses out of that. Romans chapter 12. The first verse, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your Reasonable service. What does it mean that we are being a living sacrifice, performing a reasonable service? It means that we are striving to live as Christ lived. It means that we are striving, we are giving of ourselves to be as Christ was as He walked this earth. Now I want you to think back. Who was Christ as He walked? There's three years that we know of Him walking in His ministry. What did He do? He taught, He loved, and He welcomed in those that others did not want to welcome in. He loved the leper. He loved the tax collector, one of the most hated people. He loved them. He showed kindness. He sat at the table with them. Now, also, let's look in verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith. Ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching. Verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. And now look at verse 13, distributing to the 
the necessity of the saints and given to hospitality. Given to it means you are inclined to it. It doesn't mean that you just do it. It means it's what you naturally would do. Because when you go to verse 1 and then you go to verse 13, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, which you should do as blood-bought Christians. Now distribute to the necessity of the saints and be given. May it be your nature to be hospitable. May it be in your nature to be a lover of the stranger, a lover of those who are foreign, a lover of those who are in need. May it be that is to all of us. It should be our nature. You should be given to it, inclined to it, looking for it, hoping for it, praying for it. Now, I'll be honest. I have not often prayed that God will bring some strangers to my door. I have not done that. But should we be inclined to it? Absolutely, we should. We should be inclined to this. This is all of us. Hebrews 13, verse 2. Let's let's see. Hebrews 13, verse 2 says um, that when you are ministering to someone, you may be ministering to them, paraphrasing all this, and it could be an angel unawares. Now, how many of us say, well, I didn't know it was an angel. Of course you didn't. That's why it says you're unaware that it was an angel. Angel simply means a messenger. It doesn't necessarily have to mean in this context that it was a spiritual being. It could simply at this point in time just have been someone God sent your way that you needed to minister to. Because how often when you have ministered to someone... Uh, that it was very spontaneous, have you yourself felt blessed in that ministering? That happens more often than you think. It is not often that the stranger comes or, or that it just happens upon us when we minister to someone where we walk away saying, I feel really good about myself. That person would be lost without me. Usually we say, Lord, thank you. I feel blessed in being able to bless others. That is the heart that we should have because we don't know who we're ministering to. We don't know why God sent them our way. We just know that they came and we showed Philozenos to them. As I said earlier, the kingdom of God's table has a whole lot of Mephibosheths at it. And we are part of that. And we should be more than willing. In fact, we should be searching to do that. Now, back in our text of 1 Peter chapter 4, it says to, to use this philozenos, hospitality, one to another without grudging. That's key. You can't show love to the stranger and grumble about it. This grudging means a secret displeasure that may not come to surface. That puts it in your heart. Everybody's going to know if you're grumbling about it out verbally. But this grumbling, this grudging, this murmuring, this complaining is a secret displeasure that others may not ever see. That gets to the heart of it. Am I really loving the stranger? Or am I showing love to the stranger? In quotes. Am I welcoming them in and showing them uh, 
this good time? Am I showing them love? But secretly I'm saying, when are they leaving my house? Why did they show up at my house? Oh my goodness, these people are odd. Oh my, man, they like weird food. Can they not just leave? I showed them some love, opened the door. It's been eight hours. Can they not go? What is your heart saying about this philoxenos? Am I loving the fact that I get to love you? That's convicting for me. I, we've had people in the house before that I, I was ready for them to leave. I was like, it's good enough we opened our door to you. Now it's time for you to go. That is not philoxenos. That's putting on a good face, which is not Philozenos, which is not hospitality, which is not loving the fact that you are able to love others and show them hospitality. It's a sacrificial love. It costs you something. David, go back to David when he uh, wanted to make a sacrifice and he went to, uh, uh, I don't remember the person's name, but he wanted to purchase the field so that he could make the sacrifice. And the man's like, no, no, I'll give you the field, I'll give you the oxen, I'll give you the wood to do your sacrifice. All of it. And David said, God forbid that I would sacrifice something that does not cost me. Philoxenos cost you. The New Testament church was not wealthy. As we see that, yes, there were some wealthy people, but there was a lot of churches that just simply struggled. And other churches would have to send support to them. Now what is that church that's struggling financially and those homes that are struggling financially supposed to do when the stranger comes to their door? Sorry, I barely have enough to feed my family. You've got to find somebody else. Welcome them in. We'll add more water to the stew and we'll keep stirring it. We'll add more if we need to. Welcome them in. It's a sacrifice. It costs you something. It may cost you time. I'll use the example that Andrew Huffman uh, gave at, at the, um, the men's meeting in Ripley. Elder Zach Guess and his, his wife Judy Guess, uh, all of their kids were gone and it was their anniversary. And they were going to go on a nice date finally. And they're getting ready to go and a knock happens on their door. And it's a traveling preacher whose plans had changed and he needed somewhere to stay. Uncle Zach and Aunt Judy, that's my uncle and aunt, they did not say, sorry, we will find you a place to go, but we're on our anniversary. Do you know what they did? They never let him know a thing. They quietly went back in the house. Sister Judy made a supper and they spent their anniversary evening at a preacher with a preacher sitting at their table that they barely knew They just knew he was a traveling through minister that needed somewhere to stay. They talked the gospel. They talked God's kingdom with him. And they never grudged it. They loved hosting that man. Did that cost them? Yes. It cost them some bonding that a husband and wife need. Some time together. A nice date for their anniversary to celebrate. It cost them some emotional sense there. Well, when the man left and Aunt Judy was clearing the dishes, she lifted his plate and found under it a $100 bill. Now, would they have lovingly have done that without that $100? Absolutely, because they had already done that. 
That is a real-life current example of Philozenos. A man they did not know that well needed something, and they gave of themselves, sacrificed their time together to show that man love, and they loved doing it. Luke chapter 14 tells us to invite those in who cannot reciprocate. That's what Jesus is telling them there. Those without the capacity to repay. Now you may say, I want to invite them over so that they'll invite me over because we always have more fun at their house and they serve better food. That is not what this is talking about. It is loving those who cannot give you back. It is giving to those who you know cannot repay. It is opening up your home and loving those who cannot return anything that you have given them. It is a sacrificial love towards others. My childhood example, I grew up in a preacher's home and we were always traveling to preach. And half the time I was traveling around with Uncle Zach and Aunt Judy too. I stayed in so many houses that I had no clue who those people were. Had never met them in my life. In fact, my parents had never met them. But they were Christian homes who knew that Christian people needed a place to stay. And without hesitation, they opened their their homes and they welcomed welcomed us in. In our home, we constantly had people that I had no clue who they were. Some people we grew to be close friends with, lifetime friends. Some I've never seen again. But my mother and father were always ready and willing and excited to open the door. We had a small house. There was eight of us, six kids, two parents. We lived in 900 square feet. And they welcomed people in. Us boys would go sleep in a tent in the backyard so somebody else could sleep, which we were fine with. It was fun. But the point is, my parents loved to open the door to bring people in. That is what this means. Now, are we to show hospitality to the actual strangers that we have no clue who they are, that are out in the world, who are forsaken, the ones who do not know God? Yes, we are also supposed to be hospitable to them, to show a love for them. Why should we show a philo xenos towards those that are without? Because we need to see them as image bearers of God. Because that's who all men are. All are image bearers of the Creator. And that is enough for us to show kindness and us to show love. Now, there is a different love for the brothers. There is a different love for the household of God. But there is also a kindness and a love and a respect that we must show for those that are without. It may be the only showing of love they ever receive. That's why when some of those young people are in our home that do not know God... I want to make sure that they feel loved. I want to know that they see what it is like to welcome in the stranger with open arms. That is what you and I must be. We ourselves have received the greatest gift of hospitality that can ever be conceived. How can we not in turn show that same love towards others that God has first shown to us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You. And God, we're just humbled, but also excited, ecstatic, and in awe that You have shown that Philo Zenos to us.
that you have opened your home, opened the doors of your kingdom, and welcomed us in as your own. God, may we have that same heartfelt love towards the brothers and sisters of God. Especially here in this church, those that we know that we love intimately, would we welcome each other in constantly. May we show a love towards one another. But Lord, may we think of your kingdom as it is, not just the walls of the church building that Heritage meets in. That we would see your kingdom as it is, all of your people across this globe. That we would show such a love to them. That we would be looking to love them. And Lord, may we also love those that are without to show them the love of Jesus Christ flowing from us. Because we know, Lord, that all the love that we have comes and is a cause, is caused by the love that you first gave to us. So, Lord, may we be hospitable to one another. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.